We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. I am your host, John Garcia Jr., and this is The State of Recruiting. Been a while, been incredibly busy here in the meantime, not only monitoring, watching, tracking, falling in and out of love with this college football season, but of course, recruiting, digging in and out of the top storylines in all of college football. But personally, had a big milestone, became a father in September, been trying to find my own rhythm, like a backup freshman quarterback who walked on previously, trying to find my own rhythm with that. I think we're getting there, ladies and gentlemen. So shout out to the son, Luca Lorenzo, for his first official mention on the State of Recruiting podcast. Hopefully not the last, if I'm doing this thing for 20 years or so, but let me get out of fantasy land and back into the reality of college football recruiting. This is College Football Nation. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or, of course, if you're watching right here on YouTube as well. Once again, I'm John Garcia, Jr., your host. Catch me at SI.com. I'm the director of recruiting over at Sports Illustrated. You can catch me on the Locked On Network talking ball as well. But today, we are getting back into, as the title of our show always suggests, the state of college football recruiting. So, since I've been gone for so long, I was going back and forth on what we were going to dig into, right? Because when, when you miss so much time, there's a lot to catch up on. The FOMO is real. There's so many ways to quantify just what you missed out on and you, what you want to share, your thoughts, your opinions, your evaluations, all of those things. And it became complicated. Trying to prepare for this show became a little too much. So I said, hey, hey, let's take a step back. Let's simplify and let's catch up with where we should be chronologically. And that means it's early November, one month and some change ahead of the early signing period. So National Signing Day, just over a month away. So why not check out the updated Sports Illustrated Top 25 College Football Recruiting Rankings? Let you know uh, the update in November, who moved, who shook, who's in, who's out, who's up, who's down, all of those things. Let's hit the major marks with where recruiting is now, so we have a baseline to work with moving forward 
as we continue to chronicle the rest of this class of 2023 as we all of a sudden enter the home stretch. So excited to play a little bit of catch up right here on the podcast. And then we'll wrap it up like we hope to wrap up most of our Thursday, Friday, Saturday type shows with some bets. Let's make some fake money and pick some games against the spread for Saturday. And this Saturday is going to be quite uh, quite a busy one. Some rivalries, uh, some road dogs that I don't understand from a betting standpoint. So let's dig into it and we'll pick three games against the spread. All that for you right here on State of Recruiting. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So let's pick it back up. It's early November, first week of November here at SI. We update those team recruiting rankings every single month, right? We let the dust settle from the craziness of these big official visit weekends, commitments, decommitments, flips, reclassifications, all of those things playing a part into how the final chapters of this class of 2023 are to be written in recruiting. So as we updated that, not a whole lot of shakeup at the top, right? We've seen a good number of new commitments, but the top of the board, the top five schools are still the same top five. There was some fluctuation in between, but not at number one. It's still Alabama with that number one class. They've got the most SI-99 recruits in the country. Again, for a refresher there, top 99 recruits in America, regardless of position, Alabama has eight of them verbally committed the most in the country and a host of programs have seven most of them are right there in that top five but it's still bama there at number one under nick saban big shocker they're rolling and recruiting uh, with their 23 verbal commitments and a lot of big names still on the board for the crimson tide including arguably the top two prospects within state lines quay Rousseau and james smith a couple of front seven players who are really in the thick of an SEC recruiting battle, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, among the true competitors there, uh, Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama State have all 
been involved to a degree, Auburn as well, of course, uh, although they're going through a coaching transition, something that I'm sure we will talk plenty about on this show here moving forward. Uh, but right now, Alabama number one class and still some big time targets remaining. Not only Rousseau and Smith, of course, Keon Keeley still out there. Desmond Ricks reclassifying to the class of 2023. He is still out there as the top cornerback available now that Cormani McClain is off the board, which we'll talk about here in a minute when we talk about Miami's rise up the recruiting ranking. So number one, still Alabama. Again, 23 verbal commitments, eight of them members of the SI99. You can check that out for free there at SI. Dot com. There was going to be some fluctuation at number two. Georgia was going to vault from four to two with their big month of October. They flipped Roderick Robinson, the big running back from San Diego, flipped him from UCLA. And they also added a defensive back in Chris Pearl out of Charlotte, North Carolina. So that was going to propel Georgia up to number two. But then Ohio State snuck in with a Halloween verbal commitment from Caden McDonald. Big, physical, old school interior defensive lineman from uh, the state of Georgia, just north of Atlanta there. So now Ohio State addresses another need. I think that's where I know at SI, you know, I'm the director, so I get to form formulate how we rank and why we position schools ahead of others. And a big factor for us, you'll hear me talk about this, the rest of this recruiting cycle are position groups. Are you addressing needs? Are you hitting top tier talent? So SI 99 guys, and then are you addressing needs both on the current roster in terms of how you're countering that with future players and within the commitment list? Are you building strong position groups? For Ohio State, they've got the best wide receiver core coming in in the country. They've got a great DB class coming in. The offensive line group has come a long way under Ryan Day in this class of 2023. The glaring question marks have lied upon the front seven and particularly that defensive line. They've got a couple great inside out players. Jason Moore, SI 99, top 25 type player. We love him, but not a lot of volume there. Just a couple of other players committed on the D line. And again, the ones on board already inside out type. So what do you need? Pure pass rushers, edge defenders, and they're in the running for a bunch. And these pure interior guys that are sort of built for 0-1-3 technique football, and McDonald checks that box. So if they continue to check the D-line box and hit on some edge players, then I think Ohio State's got a great shot to finish within that top two or three range when all is said and done. And for those Buckeye fans listening, obviously huge pass rushers available in the SI-99, all very high in Ohio State from Damon Wilson to Mateo Uyangalale, and of course, Keon Keeley, the former Notre Dame commitment. All three of those guys, very high on, Notre, uh, on Ohio State's board. Excuse me. They've all been to Columbus, uh, I believe, multiple times this year, including for official visits. So Ohio State's in position to continue that Larry Johnson legacy. It's just a matter of who, which of the three jump on board right do you do you bring in one can you win two of those three recruitments if that becomes a part of the conversation to me at ohio state now you're talking about does this class have a shot for number one overall i think those elite edge players are that high of an impact uh, type grouping and again they would completely overturn the perception of that ohio state defensive line hall in 2023 and in case you're wondering who feels the most likely between the three I tend to think Uyangalale is the most likely, but Damon Wilson's starting to get a lot of Ohio State traction from a buzz department. He's out of Venice, Florida, 
uh, going into the season, it was kind of wide open. Ohio State, Alabama, Miami, Texas, Georgia. And and I think since the season began, it's, it's been an Ohio State-Georgia kind of pull and feel in that regard. So if he pulls the trigger sooner rather than later, you feel good about Ohio State's chances. Georgia, the primary competitor there. I think uh, Ohio State is in good position for Uyangalale with Oregon and USC as the primary com- uh, competition there. And then uh, for Keon Keeley, it feels much like an Ohio State-Alabama type battle with Florida as the in-state dark horse for the Tampa-Berkeley prep pass rusher. So Ohio State's still another school high on the rankings, but a lot in front of them. So we were going to move Ohio State to three, Georgia up to two, but Ohio State ended up picking up McDonald on the interior. So Georgia comes in right after there uh, at number three. Both programs uh, have seven SI 99 recruits on board Uh, that bumps Texas down to number four. They still have their seven SI 99 verbal commitments, no tangible movement in October. They didn't gain, they didn't lose, uh, haven't had a commitment in quite some time. And really for Texas, the story is going to be about holding off other schools for your verbal commitments, right? We've seen Cedric Baxter, the top running back in the SI 99, take an official visit to Florida state just last weekend that's the in-state school and that's the school he was committed to very early in his high school career uh and other schools are certainly still trying to flip him on top of that we've seen fellow si 99 recruits john Tay cook um take visits malik muhammad the number two corner in the country committed to texas he just took an official to AM. so a, a lot of texas's future in terms of this class of 23 is about holding on to their top commits, as opposed to simply adding more uh, to that class, of course, headlined by one Arch Manning. And then rounding out the top five, Notre Dame, um, still picking up offensive skill prospects. And again, we talk about filling needs. And when you think of Notre Dame, whether it's today or five years ago, you say they need more juice, more skill guys, more players who, when you put the football in their hands, big things potentially happen. And I like that October pickup of Jeremiah Love as another step towards filling that need. He's a do-it-all type athlete, can be a slot, can be a running back. Maybe he factors into your return game at one point, Irish fans, but it helps you secure right now a top five recruiting class. A couple schools are on their heels, right? LSU's having a big run in season under Brian Kelly to bring it back to the irony there with Notre Dame. They sit at number six in the rankings. And then you start to get into the programs that are shooting way up the list. And that's that's where Miami lies. Number seven in the updated SI rankings. And you talk about Ohio State filling needs at their positions and, and Notre Dame filling a need from a skill position standpoint. Miami had two huge holes in this class about two weeks ago. Zero running backs committed, which is still true today, so we'll see if they address that going forward, and just one secondary prospect on board. Uh, That's not good enough, right? Whether you're watching Miami this year, and and look, they're giving up plays in chunks uh, to to opposing passers, but overall, you need to overhaul that room. Uh, There's a lot of experience and upperclassmen in that Miami secondary room, uh, your best player, Tyreek Stevenson, is off to the NFL after this year. Your next best player, maybe James Williams, has one more year before he's probably in line to do the same. You need new blood in the secondary. And wow, they overhauled that thing in about a one-week span. First, 
Antoine Jackson, which is a 2024 verbal commitment from Dillard High School, reclassifies to 23. So now all of a sudden you've got a local corner on board to pair with Robert Stafford, who's long been committed. So now you you address that need with one new player, a little bit young, obviously, having reclassified. So you wonder, can he be an impact guy despite reclassifying TBD on that answer? And then, of course, the big shocker comes in, right? Right after that, I think a day or two later, Cormani McLean on October 27th announces and shocks the world in the process, announces a verbal commitment to Miami over Florida and Alabama. Going in, and again, I don't know where you consume your recruiting news, but going in, the perception of the industry, not just mine, not just Fulano on the, on the corner or somebody over there, the perception in the industry. Fulano, by the way, I'm, I'm Cuban. Fulano means Joe Schmo, John Doe. It's just random person, right? The opinion going into this Cormani McLean commitment was Florida was running away with the buzz and Alabama was the primary competition. Miami, a listed finalist, was viewed as simply a hat on the table. Took an official in the summer. Everybody liked it. Miami's another in-state school. He referred to them as home once. So it was kind of viewed as not a courtesy, but look, you're the third team. You're the dark horse. You're another hat on the table. To the point that when McLean picked Miami, his family, the audience uh, there uh, in Lakeland, Florida, everyone was there was a pause of is is this the commitment or is this a troll? Is he going to throw the Miami hat after that? I mean, what's happening here? And he was like, no, this is it. I'm, I'm committed to Miami and I'm done. It was it was one of the biggest shockers we've seen in college football recruiting really in years. I, I think. A lot of people have likened this commitment, mainly because they're both corners, to, to Travis Hunter's decision to flip from Florida State to Jackson State on signing day. Two things. One, there was always talk of other schools involved for Hunter. It was mainly Georgia, I will say that, because he was an Atlanta kid. But there was always talk of him not ending up at Florida State, whether it was Georgia, where he took a couple of visits to late in that cycle, or maybe a Jackson State, where he visited, I believe, in October. So just over a year ago, he showed up on campus at Jackson State, and it perked a lot of ears up. So there was some talk. And then leading into the flip on signing day, those few hours, news started to filter out very quickly. And, and, and that became almost an expectation once Travis had the ceremony. For Cormani, just last week, there was no buildup for Miami. Again, leading into it, it was Florida, which had hosted him for three straight visits. I don't think he had been on any other campus this fall. This was Florida's race to lose, especially after he canceled an Alabama official visit, which was set for somewhere in October, canceled the trip, and then I think a week later, he set this October 27th commitment date. So again, optically and from afar, you see what's happening and say, man, this is running away type victory for the Gators. And uh, uh, by the way, the Florida Gators coaching staff felt the same way. This was not just the reporters, just the message boards, the Twitterverse, whatever it is. There was so much confidence coming out of Gainesville, Florida, Corey Raymond and company that this was going to end up blue and orange. So this was a total shock to everyone, not just us on the outside looking in, to everyone involved in this Cormani McLean deal. And again, you heard the tea leaves there, right? Three straight trips to Florida. I believe he took one in June, July, and eventually uh, for a game or two during the fall. 
and no trips elsewhere after that point. Cancels a Bama visit in between. So all the optics, all the tangible timeline items pushed you to Florida. And Alabama was viewed, especially with that midseason official visit, as the primary contender there. Uh, Nick Saban, T-Rob, those guys all over Cormani McLean and probably still all over him, to be honest. So it was viewed that way with Miami as a true third-party dark horse, outside looking in, whatever you want to call it. So I think that is why this feels like a bigger surprise than Travis Hunter. With Travis, we got the visits to, to two other schools. We got the question marks around Florida State's program under Mike Norvell at the time. And we got buzz for other schools leading into that signing day decision. With Cormani McLean, we got no visits elsewhere, all the buzz to a different school, and no buzz changing hands leading into that verbal commitment to the point where his family, friends, and audience and onlookers were all collectively surprised in one semi-viral moment. Check out the video at allhurricanes.com, right? So all of a sudden, he picks Miami and everything flips in recruiting for for the class of 2023. Miami's all of a sudden surging. They overhaul their secondary room, and now all of a sudden that is a strength of this Miami uh, class of 2023. Damari Brown now announces his final four, another local corner. Miami's the favorite for him. He's a Kane legacy. So now when you look at that class, the DB room, the corner room in particular, looks like a strength and one of the best rooms, if not the best, in the country should they land Damari Brown. And on top of that, Miami picked up Caleb Spencer in a flip from Oklahoma. So flipping a Texas native committed to Oklahoma at linebacker on top of the Cromani McLean shock the world verbal commitment. That propelled Miami all the way up to seven in the SI 999 rankings up from number nine. Just rounding out the top 10 here, Clemson at number eight. Uh, nice October for them, including the rare commitment decommitment or vice versa decommitment recommitment Zechariah Owens announced decommitment from Clemson and I think four days later he was back on board with the Tigers so rare but big for CU to retain their top offensive tackle recruit and they also picked up a cornerback Meeson Kelly during the month of October so Clemson sits at number eight Oklahoma number nine still top 10 after losing that flip of Caleb Spencer to Miami. This is a really strong class for Oklahoma. Jackson Arnold's having an unbelievable senior season, and he looks like a true class headliner and a guy who's going to play pretty early there in Norman. And then rounding out the top 10, of course, it's Tennessee, which I guess we can say this for at least one more day at worst. The number one team in America on the field, the Tennessee Volunteers. How about that? It's feeling like non-HD television, that bright orange, which feels different than this current orange we're seeing, Peyton Manning, T. Martin, Peerless Price. Wow. It feels unique, to say the least, to call Tennessee the number one team in the land. In my professional career, I've been unable to do so. So maybe it lasts longer than a couple days. But for right now, the number one team in the land, Tennessee, number 10 in recruiting with 21 verbal commitments and five in the SI. 99. So for the full rankings there, check it out at si.com, 1 through 25. There was one exit to the 25. Pitt is out. They had a couple of decommitments uh, in October, including a an offensive tackle and a wide receiver. So Pitt's class out of that top 25. Michigan takes 
its spot there in the top 25. Just 15 verbal commitments for UM, zero in the 99, but a nice balanced class. And they just recently picked up a legacy quarterback, athlete, do-it-all player in Kendrick Bell. So nice group shaping out uh, for Jim Harbaugh, even though um, it's probably still under expectation, right? Uh, if you're a top five team in the country, you probably expect to be recruiting at a better than number 25 overall clip. Bit of a slow start for Michigan, but they are now in the top 25 on si.com. Those just outside the bubble there, TCU, Ole Miss, Duke, Iowa, and Northwestern. So we play a little bit of catch up in the top 10, a little bit of shake up with some big decisions in October, mainly Cormani McLean. So that's where the recruiting rankings stand right now. Of course, all of that will change. So thank you for listening to that portion of it. But all of it will change here going forward with visits, flips, decommitments, reclassifications, official visits, coaching changes. We haven't even talked about that just yet. Trust, we will get to that uh, on a later edition of the State of Recruiting. But right now, that is where the college football recruiting rankings check in at si.com. All right, let's get to the point where most of y'all clicked on this show for, right? It is about week 10 in the college football season, and it's about the bets, the picks. Three games we feel like on Saturday are worth your while. Of course, this is for entertainment purposes only. Bold, underline, italic, underscore, highlight, all those things. Circle it on a uh, painting app, if you will. So, Huge slate in week 10, of course, huge games across the sports, none bigger than Tennessee. Number one, Tennessee heading to number three, Georgia, where number three is a favorite by more than a touchdown. I don't know if that's ever happened in college football history. I don't have the resources or wherewithal or time to look it up. But how about that? The number one team in the country is on the road right after being named number one, and they are a near double digit underdog to the Georgia Bulldogs. Of course, uh, all the lines we talk about here today are courtesy of the SI Sportsbook. Uh, but we won't talk about that game much. I think uh, the whole world has as of this recording, by the way, in case you're curious, that third 3.30 kick, Tennessee at Georgia, eight-point spread right now on the SI Sportsbook, over under at 65, which is an interesting number. Normally, I like to dig into some over-unders, but again, we're playing catch-up. We're back in the fold. We're slowing down a little bit, reassessing where we're at, and playing catch-up. So we start with college football recruiting rankings, and when we shift it over to bets, let's just pick a couple spreads. Let's keep it simple. Let's dig into it, and let's let you get into your week 10. Can't believe it is week 10 in the college football season. Okay, so scanning these lines on SI Sportsbook this morning, I was I was close to picking a lot of these. There were a lot that really looked good to talk about. I think Florida plus three at AM is very interesting. I was very close to listing Minnesota minus 14 and a half at Nebraska. I think that Nebraska pick could be advantageous to some of those uh, looking for some entertainment purposes, only bets. Uh, and then some sky high numbers that you're like, man, do you just take the dog just because Northwestern plus 38 at home to the Ohio state Buckeyes. That's a huge, huge number. Uh, there's a couple others that you just say, man, those, those underdogs look pretty good here. 21 point spread for Florida international at 
North Texas. That's another huge one that we considered. What about Michigan at Rutgers? 25 and a half points on the SI Sportsbook. Just huge numbers to look at, but you're just, I'm always scared to touch those, right? Because you just know some of these blowouts are entirely possible, right? Cal Berkeley at USC, 21 and a half. I mean, some of these are huge, huge numbers. So peruse those as you may on the SI Sportsbook, but we're going to focus on three with a lot of SEC flavor. I didn't really plan on that, but heck, uh, Miami's the hottest team in recruiting. So let's keep it in the ACC when we talk about bets, although we won't talk about the Hurricanes. Miami-Florida State, uh, rivalry games, when it's more than a touchdown spread, it's a lot for my blood, so I stay away from it. And I believe seven and a half was the spread at last check. So let's play bets, and let's look at the ACC slate. The first one that really popped out and screamed and reached at me was North Carolina at Virginia. All right, before I give you the number, look at these teams optically, right? UVA struggling under Tony Elliott. Just not the same offense it was, despite some of the same pieces we saw uh, under the previous administration. The defense is good, uh, improving to a degree, but still not great, right? That Miami-Virginia game was, uh, was something last week. Four overtime, zero touchdowns. At a, at, throughout the whole game. I mean, just unbelievable stats accumulating there uh, with Tony Elliott's squad and Mario Cristobal's for that matter. So up and down team. They do have a lot of experience coming back. They are playing at home, which, you know, Charlottesville, when things aren't rolling, not the biggest hometown, home field advantage that there is out there. So you wonder what this number could be, right? Because North Carolina's hot. Drake May is playing as well as any quarterback in America right now, period. He's got an array of targets led by Josh Downs that are rolling. That defense is not great, but they're able to just outscore you. Uh, just just kind of playing old school Big 12 football, if you will. UNC doing it about as well as anyone. So naturally, you think even at UVA, you feel like this is a double-digit spread, right? You feel like Carolina's hot. I mean, ever since that loss to Notre Dame and you know, Notre Dame is, is a Jekyll and Hyde type of program, you know, this year on the field as well. Ever since that loss, Carolina's been been picking things up and and, and blowing out some folks along the way. Uh, had a nice rivalry win over Duke in that span as well, which is Duke's underrated. They, they can score offensively, uh, which is really interesting uh, for that program there in Durham. So you just looked at it as this feels like a 10-point spread. This feels like an 11-point spread. Right now in the SI Sportsbook, North Carolina, minus seven, minus seven at UVA. So it's just a touchdown difference. Again, if you looked at it in a vacuum six months ago and said, Brennan Armstrong for UVA versus a, a fresh, unproven Drake May at UNC, you could start to make that argument and, and feel good about it. But having gone through the season, and especially the last month of the season, where again, Drake May is, in terms of TD and yardage production, he is outproducing a lot of the preseason Heisman favorites, and some by a wide margin, I might add. You just don't expect that number to be so low. So I think Carolina can comfortably win this game by double digits, possibly even blow out Virginia, even at Virginia. So uh, if you can't tell by now, give me UNC minus seven on the road at Virginia. 
That's a conundrum line for me. And then I saw another one right after, and I'm like, okay, I guess we're talking ACC ball all day today because uh, there's there's a two-loss team that's ranked in the top 20 that's going to hit the road against a team that is very one-dimensional and has underachieved mightily this season. Which team do you think is the favorite in this game? And if I told you the home team was the favorite, you would assume it's a coin flip game, right? Three or less points, as they talk about it in the betting stratosphere. Not the case. Not the case. Syracuse, top 20-something team in the country, is heading to Pitt as a four-point underdog to Pat Narduzzi's bunch. Now, may I remind you, Syracuse at Pitt, right? You're playing at the Pittsburgh Steelers Stadium. Pitt has underachieved this year. You don't expect that crowd to be much of a factor. That offense, again, preseason, you're like, hey, it's redesigned. It's going to be more balanced. Keita Slovis comes in to replace Kenny Pickett. It's going to pick up right where it left off. And then Jordan Addison left, and the game started, and it just didn't feel that way. Now, Pitt can run the ball. They can absolutely run the ball. Izzy, and I'm not going to try to say his last name, can run the ball downhill and he churns on you and he weighs on you and he gets better as time goes on here. I think he also leads Pitt in receiving touchdowns, by the way. But Pitt is still limited. Defensively, they're not the same and they cannot move the football via Keaton Slovis like any of us thought they potentially could going into the season. And Syracuse comes in, sure, a wounded animal. There is no other way to look at it, right? Um, that Syracuse Clemson game a couple weeks ago seemingly broke Syracuse, right? Had every opportunity to win it, had a double digit lead early in that game. Um, yes, some calls didn't go their way down in, in Death Valley, but you should have probably come out with that win. So what do you do? You go back home after it, you regroup and you seemingly lay an egg and then that egg grows and then it cracks and then it stinks with the fighting Irish in town and Notre Dame just ran over through and around Syracuse banged up the quarterback it was it was an embarrassment uh at SU after this great 6-0 start uh for the Orange where they were the surprise you know kind of darling team nationally in this this 2022 season so they're wounded. They're not the same, right? I, I think we can agree they've had some huge injuries, not only are there questions at quarterback, but they're, maybe their top DB, Garrett Williams, is out for the year with an ACL injury. A lot of question marks with Syracuse. But again, collectively, if you look to those first six games of the season, what did you get from SU? Running quarterback, dominant running back in Sean Tucker, emerging wide receiver target in Aronde Gadsden, and a defense that was excellent against the run and advantageous, meaning turnovers, broke, passes broken up, etc., against the pass. So if you can tap into any of that, Syracuse, if you can tap into any of that against Pitt, the defending ACC champion, so there should be no lack of motivation, emotional support getting up for this game. If you can channel any of that, who you were in the first six games of the season, juice, potion, formula, recipe, etc. You got a chance to not only win this game, but I think win it relatively comfortably. Six, seven, ten points. Yet and still the line on the SI Sportsbook is Syracuse plus four at Pitt. So I think Izzy's going to run the ball well. Syracuse is pretty well prepared to, to play the run, especially when the passing opposition isn't a huge threat. 
Um, but we said that last week, right, with Notre Dame. Uh, and Notre Dame was still able to run through the orange. So you just expect them to get back to square one where they were the first six games of the season and also adjust on the mistakes they made in defending the run against Esteem and Logan Diggs and Chris Tyree and that whole crew at Notre Dame. So I do think Syracuse bounces back, not only for the head-to-head win, uh, but certainly with the points. Syracuse plus four at Pitt. Lock it in. And then a half ACC game, half not, has to do with, of course, Notre Dame hosting Clemson. This line absolutely caught my eye. With Notre Dame, this is, look, this is podcast brought to you by Irish Breakdown. Check them out, irishbreakdown.com. Brian Driscoll and the company do an excellent job talking college football, talking Notre Dame, and especially talking recruiting. And they'll give it to you straight, right? Props all around for that group. But the program they cover is so up and down, right? Which which Notre Dame are you going to get? I should have done this pre-show, but I want to pull up the Notre Dame schedule because it's it's a mess. It's really a mess in 2022 in terms of which Notre Dame team we have received as a college football audience, right? You come out of the gates really impressive, as impressive as you can be in a loss, to Ohio State at Ohio State. Totally understandable. New administration, Marcus Freeman, blah, blah, blah. And then you lay an egg at home and lose to Marshall. And then you barely beat Cal once again at home. And then you go to UNC, where we've been hyping up Drake May all show, and you run it up on the Tar Heels, and you slow him down, and you win by double digits at North Carolina. And Carolina's been on a roll ever since. Notre Dame goes back home. Good, comfortable win against BYU. It was not as close as the score indicated, 28-20. to And then you lose to Stanford, again, at home. Are we seeing a trend here? Notre Dame vulnerable at home, question mark? Doesn't really make sense. And then you go out and and, uh, beat UNLV and Syracuse almost by the same score, by the way, which preseason would have been, okay, cool. Yeah, they should have. But obviously what we know of the orange at number 22, you don't expect that uh, to that degree of which we saw last week. So now, Notre Dame is at home. That's a trigger, right? Notre Dame is at home, primetime game. First, I would say wide-ranging audience. No disrespect to Syracuse. That was more regional. You know, hey, you know, can Syracuse bounce back? If Syracuse was undefeated, having beat Clemson going into that game, yes, that becomes a bigger primetime, maybe even a game day type of game against Notre Dame. But it felt more regional because the Orange had taken a step back from that darling top 10 type season. So now Notre Dame's got that type of atmosphere at home against Clemson. And they haven't played a game like this since the Ohio State game to kick off the season. That was on the road, this one at home. And now you're facing Clemson, a program who I think has quietly answered a ton of questions. And I actually saw this stat from from Brian Driscoll, the man at Irish Breakdown himself. There's only one team in the college football rankings that has three win over other teams in the top 25 of said college football rankings. It's Clemson. Uh, When you talk about resumes, you talk about what they've gone through, the Tigers have been through a bit of a gauntlet, both on the field with their schedule and off the field with all the question marks around DJ Oyunglele, the overhaul of the defense, both coordinators leaving. They've answered a lot of questions in Death Valley and somehow are still quietly underrated as the number four team in America. Look at the teams they've beaten, right? Shootout with Wake Forest in overtime, the commanding win over NC State the following week, 
Uh, that Florida State and Syracuse win looks better than we thought preseason for Clemson. Clemson had a huge lead against Florida State. Let them creep, creep back into it just a little bit, uh, but really commanded things in the second and third quarter uh, on the road at Florida State, by the way, which, again, is, is as good an on-ranked team as there is in, in the country at this point. And then, again, we talked about that Syracuse game from a couple weeks ago. So then Clemson gets a bye week, get a little bit more healthy. Right. We just talked about Notre Dame beating up on Syracuse via the run game. Where is the strength at Clemson? It's in the front seven, isn't it? That dominant defensive line, which is now healthier. Brise, Murphy, KJ Henry, Tyler Davis, the back. I mean, it is a group of Sunday players. And those linebackers are going to scream downhill, Trenton Simpson and company thereafter. So theoretically, strength versus strength. Again, um, Notre Dame's got great players at running back, a great offensive line, so you expect that to be the butter of this game and perhaps keep it low scoring. But here is where Clemson just continues to prove they're better than we all thought. It's offensively. We didn't even talk about the scores of these games, right? The least amount of points they put up on anyone was that struggle come from behind win against Syracuse which was still a win beyond that point, 30-plus points in every single game. And they've put up 30-plus against some really nice defenses in NC State, and I would say at Florida State even more impressively. Not saying you need to get to 30 to beat Notre Dame if it's going to be a drag-it-out, slower-paced type of game, but you need to threaten 30 in my mind. So if you look at the game, you going into it with all that we just talked about, what did you think the spread was going to be? Clemson minus what? Six, seven, ten? Does it get all the way to ten? If it gets to ten, I'm worried. I'm probably avoiding the game, and we're not talking about it at all. Do you know what the spread is on the SI Sportsbook? It is three and a half, ladies and gentlemen. Just three and a half points for the Clemson Tigers. Would feel better if it was three points straight up because that hook can get you sometimes. But do you do feel like Clemson offensively can play a little bit of balanced football with Will Shipley and that array of pass catchers that are starting to come along, including freshman Antonio Williams. They can start to come along and challenge Notre Dame where they are most vulnerable, which is the secondary. They got a a great freshman starting in Benjamin Morrison, but there is inexperienced uh, talent back there. And I think with the progress we've seen from Uyangalale, who still puts pressure on you as a runner, now as a passer, I think you're going to get some one-on-one matchups that you can win against and at Notre Dame. So I think Clemson wins this game by a touchdown. That three and a half point spread absolutely screams pick Clemson. So we don't want to dig into too many of the picks. I think three is a great number. And we're talking SEC this week on the state of recruiting. UNC minus seven at UVA, Syracuse plus four at Pitt, and then Clemson minus three and a half at Notre Dame. Once again, those odds all courtesy of the SI Sportsbook. So we've been rambling for a long time. Happy Friday. Happy week 10 in college football. We will be back early next week to recap any surprises. Certainly talk about the big visitors that are hitting campuses across the country this week. Miami, LSU, Notre Dame for that Clemson game has a lot of big time recruits uh, popping over on campus. We will revisit some of those and see if there were any moves to be made from a commitment, decommitment, flip, reclassification standpoint. And we're going to be back consistently, ladies and gentlemen. Again, 
apologies for the hiatus. Certainly understandable from a biological perspective, but we're back. And look, we were watching college ball the entire time. So let's play catch up over the next week or so and continue to build this community here at College Football Nation and specifically with yours truly at the State of Recruiting. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you here in a couple days. Enjoy your week 10 and happy November. Thank you.